0: Hey, welcome back to The Cypher. I'm Christabel Insia Boadi. Now in this podcast, we speak to creators from the black diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. On today's show, we are playing one of my all-time favorite on-air conversations. It's with Lola Akimare Akastrom. She is a photographer. She is an author. She expresses herself in all the ways. She's basically someone who understands that she has her own way of telling stories. And then that particular way, that particular way of expression has its own place and it does have an audience. I say all of that because, you know, like imagine being told that the novel that you wrote, you know, the one that was based on things that you understand and the life that you live is not relatable. I say imagine that, but I know that a lot of us have heard that before, you know, that what you do is niche or that no one really really relates well Lola had that experience when she wrote this book in every mirror she's black but she pushed through that and she ignored whatever insecurities that might have created and she kept on telling that story and she kept on saying that this story was a story that was worth being told and a one that was worth being shared and the result is this debut fiction novel that as I said at the start is called In Every Mirror She's Black. It resonates with all kinds of women all over the world. So I want you to take a listen to this conversation because we talked about the book, we talked about her living in Sweden, we talked about being an international wanderluster um, and we talked about just the importance of being able to be free to explore and connect with other people. I hope you enjoy Book in Every Mirror, She's Black. There are so many layers, even to the title. So let's start there. Why did you choose the title? That's actually
1: not the original title of the book. So the original title of the book was called Afro Swede and Afro with the Swedish umlauts on the Afro and then on the Swede, the African intonations on the Swede. So I kind of created a really cool uh, word. Mm -hmm. But when we got it to the publisher and they were testing it with their focus groups, people didn't understand what it meant. The way I had kind of written that word. They thought, is it a book of poems? Is it a book what what is it? And it's a publisher that's known for really testing titles. So we went back and started thinking of okay, what's a title that will better capture, you know, the stories? Because that title I had didn't really fully do kind of the women and their stories and the individuality, the justice it needed. And so that that uh, new title in Every Mirror, She's Black kind of came up, you know, through that brainstorming process, you know, at the publisher. And that was the title that won. But it made sense immediately. When we came up with that, it's like, yes, of course, mm. you know. Why did it make sense to
0: you though? Because it's a super powerful title.
1: It, It is because first of all, with the three women, that's the first thing the world sees beyond getting to even know them. You know, the first thing they see is you're a black woman. And as a black woman, when you go into any space, the first thing that meets you is the stereotypes the world has created on your behalf. And then as the person begins to interact with you, they then deduct from those stereotypes, right? So that's what happened. They see you, you're a black woman. These are all the stereotypes. And then the more they get to know you, they're like, "Hmm, she's not this stereotype. Let me deduct this. Let me remove this. That shouldn't be how it is. That shouldn't be how we move through the world as, as black women, but that is what the world has done. So that is just one thread of the title. Another way of looking at the title is no matter what the women do, looking in the mirror, unless they fully accept who they are, because that's what they are. They just need to fully accept that and be comfortable in their skin fully. So one, it's the way the world sees them and two, the other way they see themselves. But it's just a multi-layered uh, title that you know resonates in different
0: ways. Oh man, it sure does. And I remember the way that you have summed it up is exactly how I saw it. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to pick <laughs> the book up. But by the time you finished the book, There is a sadness for me to that title. There's a heaviness to that. And I don't want to give too much away because if you haven't read the book, listener, get the book. I'm telling you, it's a good (laughs) read. I'm I'm not saying it to to plug it. I was captivated. By the end of the book, I was looking at that title and feeling the weight Mm. of it, but the weight almost feels like the wrong word because the characters and the experience of blackness is full circle like it's full it's not just the heaviness the, the heaviness yes. comes from the stereotypes that we that are imposed upon us right yes it was the heaviness that these women in their own way weren't living by and were mm. trying to escape
1: no thank you and, and you know what uh, the book was also inspired when i was writing my the book before this i came across a swedish proverb that says the deepest well can also be drained. Uh. And when I came across that proverb, it arrested me immediately. The deepest well can also be drained. Because think about some of the deepest wells in society, black women, what we have to go through every single day, working twice as hard while still being seen as strong, not having any chance to complain, not being able to show our emotions without being stereotyped being angry. So I wanted to kind of address that proverb, you know, within the Black experience, because all three women are very strong, you know, they have a good sense of self, but they also need to be taken care of emotionally. We are not, we're kind of tired of being strong, right? We need to be taken care of emotionally, mentally, because we can break too. And so that was why I think a lot of Black women also kind of saw themselves in these women even though these women are very individual right and that was also by choice I wanted these women to be so different that if Kemi makes a mistake you don't say well that's what Britney will do because she's black or if Muna makes a mistake then you say well that's what Britney will do because she's also black I wanted to make them very full individuals so we can also show that you know being a black woman is not a monolithic experience even though we share some of the same
0: emotions as well. As I was reading this and I was, you know, doing my research on you, I was wondering what parts of you are in each of these women? Because I know there had to be. (laughs) Yeah. So I always say that all of the women
1: are me, but none of the women are me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas, for example, most people assume I'm Kemi or the Kemi character is based on my life because I'm Nigerian-American. (laughs) And I moved, you know, and I'm kind of a career woman. But that is just me being lazy, right? So that's me (laughs) looking. So that's me saying, hmm, I could make a Nigerian-American because it's very easy to root her. I can bring Yoruba language in, you know, how can I describe her? I can look at myself, use that as an example. But in terms of values, in terms of what we want, we're actually very different people. The closest character to me as a person is actually Muna. Because when I moved from Nigeria to the US, even though I didn't, you know, go through kind of the refugee experience, I it's a lot of the loneliness and the isolation and kind of the identity moving from Nigeria to the US as a teenager. Trying hmm. to move into a place where I already had my own identity, but the place that was trying to box me in, trying to be seen for who I already was. So a lot of those I was able to tap into my own experience in terms of the feelings, even though it's nowhere, nowhere near what somebody like Mona would have had to endure, losing her family along the way. So Mona was the character kind of closest to my art. And then Brittany was actually the character that was the most difficult for me to create. Because Britney and I, as a person, as an author, have very different values in terms of what we want in life. But Britney is also valid. Our issues are valid. Our wants are valid. And you have to look at it. She's tired of struggling. She wants to be taken care of. You know, she wants to breathe. She wants kind of that ultimate privilege around her shoulders. So all of the women, in a sense, you know, Many experiences I might have experienced, many of them I've observed, many of them are just kind of drawn from the Black, kind of collective Black experience. But yeah, none of them is, you can say, oh, this is Lola's life. You know, that it's not memoir, it's not, you know, based on my life, but of course, inspired by lots of different things. How easy was it for you to find a publisher for the book? It was difficult. I mean, you may not know this, but the Manuscript for this book was rejected over 70 times, 7-0. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in all the reasons. Of, yeah, a friend of mine was joking. She didn't know there were that many publishers in business. I mean, that was how many times it was rejected. You know, a lot of the rejections actually came with I praise, which was very interesting, right? Why hmm. are they rejecting this with I praise? And so one of the reasons was, first of all, they kept saying, well, the literary imprint said it was too commercial for them. The commercial imprint said it was too literary for them. But most of them, is because I centered three Black women on a mainstream kind of level, one of them hijabi, you know, in a country like Sweden that's just revered. And so most of them said, well, they didn't feel like their audiences, right. which are primarily, you know, kind of white women, would connect mm-hmm. with these Black women. And I kept saying that, but those audiences connect with vampires, they connect with aliens, they connect with werewolves. Why can't they not connect with me as a black woman? It's very difficult, you know, to hear that kind of thing. So they didn't have the vision for publication because they felt like their audiences would not see themselves reflected in these women. So because over 70 we don't rejections. Count. Yeah, because exactly. Because black women don't count. Because we don't count. Because we... So, it, so, it was very, so it was a rough journey, but since then we have we already have four publishers you know tv interests so there's a lot
0: going on listen to the cypher wherever you tune into your favorite podcasts and don't forget to sign up for the cypher newsletter there you'll discover more great podcasts from africa and the diaspora you'll also get to find out a little bit more about my team for anyone who's listening if you don't know about lola She's also a photographer, which is how I came. Actually, you do all the things. You do all the things. You are, if, if I may, lead into that stereotype, you are an overachiever. I know. I,
1: I try to stay busy. <laughs> we always say Nigerians were born hustling from,
0: the, from ah. the womb. I don't know what it is. You this one. We, we, we stay busy. <laughs> you stay busy. You have a travel blog. That's how I discovered you. And you take beautiful pictures. And your work has been in publications from all over the world right yes thank but you. in that sense you're not a typical nigerian girl <laughs> whatever a typical nigerian girl is that's exactly. a big like, caveat I, I know what right you because mean. yeah i know what right you mean. and i don't want to lean into that stereotype but at the same time it's like you are a programmer again doing all the things yes but that's not what you do anymore you are now feeling the world you are interacting with the world through your creativity the very thing that quite frankly scares a lot of people especially children of immigrants immigrants because that's not something that we're able to do so what was the moment at which you said "Ah, I need to do this and how easy or hard was it for you and I'm looking at Lola like girl can I give you a hug (laughs) absolutely absolutely and I think you know
1: kind of growing up in Nigeria, I've always felt like the odd bird, you know, like someone that's always just doing our own thing, right? I've always, even and a lot of my friends from high school will vouch, you know, like, Lola, you are just different. And when they meant that was that I just had this kind of yearning to see the world, but not just see the world, try and understand the world in a way, you know, try to, uh, kind of get beneath different cultures, you know, try to understand, kind of see where the bridges of similarities lie, why we are different and why we need to be different. You know, so I've always been fascinated by that. And then the reason I kind of went into IT was, you know... (laughs) what your parents were willing to pay for return on investment you know yeah. <laughs> that you know you know that and so uh so i did that and i really was good in that i did uh, geographic information systems for many years but mm-hmm. i think the turning point for me came in 2002 i'm dating myself so not 2012 2002 <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> when i was volunteering uh, with an expedition race in fiji and it was at that moment i realized i have to share my view of the world through my lens as an african Mm.
0: storyteller
1: in this way right i mean everybody always touts national geographic as kind of the inspirational i'm like why can't i not be in it right and so i've always had this audacious yes and i know many years later yes (laughs) history you know but i've always had that audacious spirit about me like what's Mm. the worst that could happen people Mm. ignore you but what's the best they actually say yes when Mm. you try, right? So that is kind of how that audaciousness came, you know, and then, and since then I've just realized, you know what, I have my own unique voice. I have my own way of telling stories and I need to stick with that. I'm not going to be for everyone, but the people that connect and relate
0: will find you. That's a very scary thing for a creator to lean into that, right? And to trust that voice, and to put it out there what was the thing that pushed you and forced you because it's what we understand on one hand it's you know like you were this curious person but what made you take the leap you literally must have must have been a moment where you're just like uh-huh I or know. maybe you like how did it happen yes so
1: so I kind of took I did like a gradual you know leap so it wasn't like a swan dive into <laughs> into nothingness <laughs> you know in fact when I when I said I wanted to kind of lean more into photography my mom is like remind them you have degrees oh <laughs> you know <laughs> so so you so you understand the uh the, you know. <laughs> exactly but i mean now she's my biggest fan you know but of so but it was about kind of for me i did like a slower transition right so at that time i came back i started freelancing on the side while i still kept my programming job so i built mm. enough of a portfolio where I felt that okay now I can kind of jump full time into being more creative writing. And so even when I did that jump at that time, it was like a sixty percent income cut immediately. Oof. You know? And then I and mean we gratefully all know yeah, and that's that, back that's then, too you know? scary. Exactly. Yeah. I mean gratefully you know that's been recouped, you know, by the years and, and more, but at that time it was super scary. You know mm. but I knew that, you know, I, so I have to share this anecdote it's from one of the uh, I think the first black woman to ever go to both the north and south poles in her 70s Barbara Mm. Hillary she's dead now and when I was interviewing Barbara for an interview she said Lola that life is too short for you to have a heart attack in your cube and the last face you see is that co-worker you did not like And when she said that, and she's somebody that just talks, she's very, she's unfiltered that way when she, when she talks, you know, I saw rest in peace. But when she said it that way, it made sense in terms of like life being short and not doing what you're meant to do. You know, I feel like everybody, everybody doesn't have to travel or be this creative, but at least everybody has to show up fully in their lives with the talents they've been given. It also reminds me of that bible parable about the talents right where some people hide their talents and some people double their talents so you've been given those talents those gifts you need to show up fully she was one of
0: my inspirations Mm. now (laughs) you i told you i was going to get to this you live in sweden which is a country that is not necessarily loaned for having very many uh, black folk, shall we say? It probably has more black folk than most of us know. In fact, I suspect yes. it does. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, for me,
1: getting beneath a culture is trying to understand how the culture handles stress, and so I was able to kind of, you know, Ooh, wait, pause, get pause, to... pause. Sorry, <laughs> sorry.
0: Getting to know a culture is is what for me. getting to know how it handles stress. Yeah, how the culture handles
1: stress? handles stress exactly because there's a mm. lot that a culture can tell you based on how it collectively handles stress. And when you think about the sources of stress in our lives, they they tend to be physiological things. So, you know, you know, am I getting enough food, water, shelter, am I getting healthcare, just those basic things to create safety and security. So when I think of like, for example, Nigeria, we know that those sources of stress are never going to go away. So we mm-hmm. live vibrantly like, <laughs> like you know like there's no tomorrow it's yes. just a bit more kind of a vibrant culture right and when i think of the u.s um it's a culture where we're never going to agree on how we're going to handle stress so let's just camouflage the the stress figure oh out ways gosh. to keep it at bay and and that's what creates kind of very creative people we're creating creative ways to just keep stress at, at bay while we keep moving in life right and then when you think of the nordics it's a, it's a co- the culture collectively is one where for us to fully function, we have to keep stress as, at bay. So we have to make sure that our basic needs, if it's, um, you know, uh, work-life balance, if it's healthcare, just our basic needs are met so that we can actually function. So a lot of societies operate differently. And so for me, those that's the way I kind of observe different cultures, right? And so... So when I moved there, you know, obviously people don't know this, but 25% of Sweden's population has kind of foreign roots. So not just Black, but like foreign roots. So it's a lot more diverse than people realize. And there are strong Black communities in, you know, in Sweden, you know, from the Somali community to Eritrea and Gambia. And there are lots of strong, as well as Afro-Swedes. So people that are either born, you know, in Sweden, or maybe one parent is, is, um, you know, African roots, but you don't get that image outside of Sweden. Right. You know, people still meet that one dimensional image. And I know Mm -hmm. that because I'm a travel writer and I've written a lot about (laughs) Sweden and now, you know, what to do, how to experience and I'll keep writing. But I felt like I'm also a black woman here and I need to share a lot more balanced picture. So people, understand, yes, these are all the amazing things, but also I'm a Black woman, here, yeah, and these are some of the challenges I face on a daily basis as
0: well. my mind (laughs) you have blown my mind with this seeing cultures through stress yes it's not even a concept I ever would have like not even I couldn't even have reached it and be like oh maybe I could think about that but seeing a culture through the lens of stress where did that come from you know I don't know and I think it's just it came from years
1: of observation you know I mean Maybe I was an anthropologist in a different life. I don't know. But I, mm. I know I really do love uh, getting beneath cultures. In fact, I was just talking about it recently that one of the things I love about Nigeria is first of all, over 250 different tribes speaking yes. over 500 unique languages. And we're all kind of in Lagos, mm-hmm. you know, living our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of cultural melting hot mentality has always intrigued me you know mm-hmm. and so so it's just kind of years of observation based on my experience living in different places reading a bit but it's it's mostly from just feeling <laughs> you know I, yeah. I, I'm somebody that uh, I, I just I love being around people and trying to understand people and yeah. and uh, feeding off of their energy and really understanding what makes them kind of you know born so so yeah
0: how do you think or how do you hope your book but also your work has redefined or reshifted what the black experience might be in some small way what is your maybe let's start with your hope maybe yeah no
1: no, I think I I hope it shows possibilities right that you know I'm somebody that has always I don't like the word hate, but I've hated boxes. I've hated predefined boxes of when we, when you say you're supposed to be or do or think or be or feel a certain way. You know, I've always felt like, why aren't we allowed to just kind of exist and feel? And and you know, so for me, one of the things that I hope my work shows is one, just that we're a lot more connected. Then mm. we want to admit, we most of us want the same things, which is to be fully seen for who we are, to feel like we have a purpose in life. And this is also why I'm not a fan of first impressions. I really am mm. not. Because I feel like first impressions force us to be one-dimensional so we can make that quote-unquote first impression when we are all very multi-dimensional kind of complex beings where you might meet me on a half day, maybe on a day when I'm not feeling good, and then you've already framed who I am as a person based on that one interaction. I'm not a first impressions person. I actually give people a lot of multiple chances to see different facets of the person before Mm -hmm. I can make a decision. And so I think I hope that's what my work will show is that to give each other more grace because we're a lot more complex yeah. So I hope that's what I, my work shows. I know it,
0: it does. I mean, your book, what I, What first impression, my first impression of your book yes. <laughs> was actually, um, I was just so oh thankful to be reading a book about three women who were doing stuff and some of their life was heavy. Some yes. of their life was not. And it felt very realistic, but they were able to just
1: be. That was also why I wrote the book is I wanted to give them space to make mistakes. Because as Black women, we're not given enough space to make mistakes. We want to be able to be damsel in distress as well, if we want to be, right? But society doesn't give us that space. We always have to be seen as strong. And, you know, and I wanted to not only give them space to make mistakes, but I wanted them to stop surviving and actually look at thriving. Yeah. Because... uh Black women were always seen as always surviving and struggling. Mm-hmm. But once a Black woman wants to just simply thrive, then she becomes almost like the most threatening thing in society. Yep. You know, I've been getting a lot of, uh, some of the feedback I've been getting, especially on the three characters is from non-Black women is that they really connect with Mona and her story and a narrative, but mm-hmm. they find Kemi and Britney annoying. What are they complaining about? Are they Ooh. not happy? And that told me a lot. Yes, yeah, because sure did. if Kemi and Brittany were, were white, all all books are written on just Kemi not finding a date if she was a white woman, right? Oh yes. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Bridget so, I mean, Jones. Exactly. And so that was quite telling. Is that when black women are trying to thrive, then it becomes a, are you not satisfied? What more do you want? you know, because Mm -hmm. society has said this is our lot or this is our space or society doesn't
0: want us to kind of fully self-actualize. Woo! Lola, (laughs) um, thank you so much for this lovely conversation. And um, I hope you'll come back to tell us what you're up to um, because I know you're going to be doing some amazing, amazing things. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with the award-winning photographer and writer, Lola akinmande Orchestra. I still really love that conversation. But thank you so much for listening. Now, on our next episode, I take the mic to Nevis and I speak with Chantelle Miller, who is the charming and charismatic founder of the organisation Island Girls Rock. Thank you so much for listening to The Cypher. I'm your host, Christabel Insia Bwadi. We'll be back next time with a new, wonderful conversation. If you don't want to miss an episode, subscribe to our newsletter. We're at thecypherpod.com. And don't forget to tell your friends to do the same. Our production team includes Cerise Small, Larissa Witcher, Ty Hughes, and Eugene Kidd. The Cypher is a production of My Lens Media, Inc.